0: Life Audio.
1: Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we want to continue our topic of soteriology. This is the last episode on the subject. We've dealt with justification. We've dealt with sanctification. We've dealt with redemption. And today, we want to deal with the topic of propitiation. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. propitiation. Uh, is a term that's often thrown about in theological circles as we talk about salvation. And we will unpack the meaning of propitiation as we get started. Uh, but like I said, we've had previous episodes that you can listen to on our podcast and on our, on our website. Uh, justification, as we talked about, deals with the concept of the guilty being vindicated in the legal sense As, for example, Psalm 51 and even Romans 5 and 9. And then sanctification, uh, we talked about in, in our previous episodes where sanctification carries this idea of being set apart for God to use. You are holy, you have been sanctified, you have been set aside for God to use. God wants to use your hands, He wants to use your mouth, He wants to use your eyes, He wants to use your ears. You've been set apart for God to use. God sees you as holy, and as such, he set you apart. He set you apart uh, to bring him glory. You've been set aside for a sacred purpose. You've been set aside for a sacred purpose, just like we find in the Old Testament where uh, we're reminded uh, that we have been set aside for God's purposes. You must see yourself as holy, just as God sees you as holy. And when you see yourself as holy, it puts you in the right standards with God. Uh, Leviticus 8.10 is an example. It says, then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so consecrated them. He sprinkled uh, some of the oil on the altar seven times, anointing the altar, and all its utensils and the basin with the stand To consecrate them. So, this idea of sanctifying inanimate objects, that's uh, an Old Testament imagery where um, we see that Moses is sanctifying uh, inanimate objects to bring glory to God, meaning that those inanimate objects were not going to be used like other objects. They had a purpose, they had a holy purpose. So, as he's Uh, sanctifying the utensils, he's saying these utensils are not like the other utensils. These are utensils dedicated to God. We're not going to use them in uh, other realms. We're not going to use them uh, for other things. We're not going to use uh, them in an ordinary uh, fashion. Likewise, we as believers have been sanctified. So the same concept that Uh, We read about in the Old Testament, as it relates to the sanctification uh, of utensils or inanimate objects, such as found in Leviticus 8.10, God sees us in the same way. He has sanctified us. He has sanctified us to bring him glory. He has sanctified us to do the work that he's called us to do. And as we look at Scripture, we must remember, never forget, that God sees us as holy. He sees us as sanctified. He sees us as uh, vessels to bring him glory. God sees us as sanctified. Even in First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can't, this passage cannot be any clearer. May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this means we need to sanctify ourselves. How long until Jesus comes back? Until Jesus himself come back. So we ought to live holy. We ought to teach holy. We ought to preach holy. We have to pray holy. We have to uh, be holy. And being holy does not mean you're perfect. It means that you're set apart for God to use. And we have to make ourselves available for God to use. And we talked about these things. Justification, redemption, um, Uh, the whole uh, 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 bevy of things that we talked about before. Uh, So we must look at soteriology from this paradigm that we've been justified. We've been sanctified and then we've been redeemed, uh, which means that God rescued us from a debt. We owed a debt, a debt due to our sinful ways. We owe that to God and we uh, couldn't settle this debt on our own. Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, um, took our place on a cross so that we may be in good standing with God, that we may be in good standing with God. When I was in college, my first year in college, I didn't do too well. Um, I, I wasn't as focused. I wasn't as mature. And as a result, I was placed on academic probation. That's a fancy title for you need to watch out or we're going to expel you from the school. And so on academic probation, I had another semester to get it right. And they told me um, if, if I were able, was able to raise my grades, then I'll be in good standings with them. That's the whole concept of making things right. And that's what Jesus did for us. He made things right. Uh, God had a debt that needed to be paid, and no animal offerings was going to be sufficient to pay off this debt. But the Lamb of God, who is perfect, he was able to pay this debt off. Then we talked about this whole concept of Jesus being a kinsman redeemer as we talk about propitiation. Um, Propitiation brings forth this idea of appeasing God, meaning that uh, there's a debt that has to be paid, um, just like we talked about in uh, the kinsman redeemer definition Uh, But only Jesus could appease God by what he did. And we talked about Jesus being the kinsman redeemer. Uh, You can read Jeremiah uh, 32 and 8 as well as Ruth uh, chapter 3 when we deal with uh, Boaz. So when we talk about the kinsman redeemer, remember that there were qualifications that needed to be met as it pertains to the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer had to be related by blood in order to redeem. John 1 and 14, Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Uh, and they had to be a male relative tasked to look after a relative in need or in trouble. The kinsman redeemer, it was necessary for this kinsman redeemer to have the resources to buy back the forfeited inheritance. And Jesus definitely had the resources. He was God incarnate. Jesus was perfect uh, in his uh, divinity as well as hum- humanity. So Jesus was more than qualified uh, to do that. Uh, it was necessary for the kinsman Redeemer to also have the desire to take on the obligation. And Jesus had the desire. Um, in Old Testament, it says who would go for us. And and Jesus decided that he would come down and die for our sins. He did it voluntarily. Nobody made Jesus come down. He wanted to. He desired to because he loves us. So he took on the obligation. Then in terms of function, in terms of function, what does the kinsman redeemer do? In the book of Ruth, he serves Boaz, served as the guardian of the family interest. In this case, for us, uh, Jesus has always been our guardian, and he had an interest in us. And uh, Boaz was the uh, caretaker of the widows of deceased relatives. And Jesus uh, takes care of the widows. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. And in the story, Boaz, he's an overseer of the deceased relative's household. He's the overseer. Jesus serves as an overseer. So he said in Ruth 3 and 9, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your slave. Now spread your garment over your slave, for you are a redeemer. And Jesus definitely has redeemed us, right? He bought us from the marketplace of sin. And so uh, in this case, propitiation takes place because of what Jesus did. Uh, God has been appeased. The kinsman redeemer, he avenges the murder of a relative or improper uh, execution as found in Numbers 35 verses 9 through 34. And then he receives reimbursement for transgression against a relative, Numbers 5 and 8. And as we read Hebrews 2 and 11 Uh, Hebrews 2, 16 through 18, we learn more about the qualification of the kinsman redeemer, which in this case is Jesus the Christ. So, propitiation, for those of you that are listening, propitiation is the act of appeasing God by which sin is forgiven. The act of appeasing God by which sin is forgiven. Let me say it one more time. The act of appeasing God by which sin is forgiven—that's the definition of propitiation, the act of appeasing God by which sin is forgiven. So, propitiation, in other words, could be satisfying God's wrath through the atonement of Jesus Christ, satisfying God's wrath through the atonement of Jesus Christ. We look at um, the Greek "hilaskomai." which is a verb, which means to uh, to appease. And that's where we get the word propitiate from. Um, It it, it is that word, hilaskomai, in the Greek. And uh, the conjugate, the hilasterion, a sin offering by which God's wrath is appeased. Romans 3.25, Hebrews 9 and 5. We talk about a sin offering, which God's wrath is appeased. And the thing about the New Testament, which I love, It takes the concept of a sin offering of animals to appease God in the Old Testament, which was a shadow of things to come. In the New Testament, it's revealed, it's it's, it's made more pronounced, that God is not asking for an animal sin offering. He's asking for a sin offering of our humanity. We are the offering. We offer ourselves up in a symbolic way to God. God wants us. We can't pay off God. You can't say, well, I give my tithes an offering. Uh, That should appease God. No, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. This is why the imagery of circumcision um, is used in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, circumcision identified you as belonging to God's family. In the New Testament, there is not a circumcision of the skin, but a circumcision of the heart, which identifies you as belonging to God. If we look at the Ark of the Covenant, uh, covenant, above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement covered, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Hebrews 9 and 5. And this symbolism of a covenant that we have with God, how do we appease God? Through the acceptance of what Jesus has done and going through this concept of propitiation, that God has been appeased because of what Jesus did on the cross. The helestrian, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizes the expiation offered once a year during the Day of Atonement. That was to appease God. Uh, So the construct of the Ark of the Covenant itself brings this identity in terms of uh, how God sees us, in terms of um, what we owe to God. The construct of the Ark of the Covenant brought back this imagery of what we owe to God or what they owe to God. It's an expi- expiation offered once a year during the tone, uh, the day of atonement, Hebrews 9 and 5. In Exodus 25, 22, we read this. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark, of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. This is God talking from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So this was God's um, covenant and countenance which will be in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant resided. So Christ has become our mercy seat. Remember, the uh, Ark of the Covenant on top, the cherubims represented the mercy seat and God uh, coming between those two cherubims, meaning, um, if we were to interpret it, that God is with them. And then in the New Testament, this whole concept of the mercy seat has not been abandoned. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Romans 3.25. Again, God uh, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Let's look at Hebrews 7.27. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people? Because this he did once for all when he offered himself up. He's talking about Jesus and and the Hebrew writers comparing himself. Uh, uh, he's comparing Jesus rather to the Old Testament theology of the priests having to go and sacrifice. For himself as well as the nation. And that had to be done over and over again. But in this case through Christ. There's only one sacrifice needed. Which has already been fulfilled. The atonement. We don't need to keep crucifying Christ. What Christ did on the cross is sufficient. Once and for all. (laughs) There is no need again to re-crucify him. What he did was sufficient and it appeased God. That's the whole concept of propitiation, right? Appeasing God uh, due to the sin that we committed. And that's through Christ. That's how we're able to do that. And then First John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. And again, Jesus is our ambassador. Jesus is our cover. Jesus is our redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. Kinsman in the sense that uh, he's acquainted with all of our ways. He was human just like us. And when we talk to Jesus, when we go to him with our knees, he's able to uh, talk to the Father on our behalf. And um, he's able to understand the things that we're going through. He was tempted just like we're tempted. Jesus was tempted. Uh, Jesus suffered just like we suffered. So he understands. Jesus had to go through pain just like we go through pain. So he understands. So if you're listening to me, God is calling you into a holy relationship. Not religiosity, not to be religious, but God is calling you into holiness. Anyone can be religious. There, there, There are numerous individuals Who give to churches, there are numerous individuals who do good works, but they have yet to turn their hearts over to Jesus. And God is calling you into an authentic relationship, a relationship that's built on trust, a relationship that's uh, conditioned by faith, a relationship that's uh, bringing about sacrifices on your behalf. Things that we need to give up for Jesus' sake. God is calling you into holiness. This concept of holiness is not just reserved for your pastor. It's not just reserved for your elders. It's not just reserved for your Sunday school teacher. It's not just reserved for certain people, but it's reserved for all Christians. All Christians have a deontological and virtue ethics responsibility to live holy and to do it through faith. Faith. Is what conditions us. It's faith is what's going to carry us through trusting God and allowing him to mold us the way that he wants to mold us. There's a song that talks about him being the potter and we're the clay. And that's, that's theologically true. Jesus is the potter and he wants to shape you into his image. And the more we sacrifice, the more We read our Bible. The more we study the word of God, the more we pray, the more we minister, the more we show empathy, the more we trust God for what he's saying, the more we grow, the more intimate we become with God, the more uh, we start to understand his ways. But we have to do our part. God is calling on us. He's inviting us into a loving relationship. He's inviting us into a closer relationship relationship. For it is not enough just to say that we're Christians. It's not enough. We have to show some signs. We have to do our part. We have to sacrifice. We have to put it into action. Some of the things we know that we ought not to be doing, we ought not to do. Some of the things that we know that we ought not to say, we ought not to say them. This whole concept of soteriology. Uh, the study of salvation brings into scope what God did for us, and because of what He did for us, we owe Him something. My, uh, but my old pastor used to say that uh, that we owe God something, and He's right. We owe God something. Uh, it makes no sense for us to, na- to to say we love Jesus and yet tap into not tap into the power that's available, that power to help us to not be mean. The power that helps us to not say things uh, that we ought not to be saying. The power that helps us uh, to not go to places that we shouldn't be going to. If we are tapped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is power that's accessible to you and I. And that power is afforded to all believers. And so we pray that uh, you've been blessed by this episode and this series, rather, Uh, that deals with soteriology, the study of salvation, as we deal with uh, sanctification, redemption, as we deal with justification, and now propitiation, we hope that uh, we were able to make clear what those concepts are. It's a vital part of Christianity. It's a vital part of our walk to understand what Jesus did on the cross for us. And because of what he did on the cross, we are able to see uh, the importance of it from different angles. This is why we have sanctification, you know, uh, being set apart, meaning you and I, for God to use. We have redemption. He brought us from the marketplace of sin. We have uh, justification. We've been justified in legal sense. And then we have propitiation, which is um, uh, God being appeased by the atonement because of us. So again, We thank you all for your prayers, as always. We thank you for your uh, financial support. And as you know, everything costs. And so we need your help in making sure that uh, this teaching uh, can get out to many believers. So if you want to support us, please go online to srministries.org and please donate. Um, we, We thank you again for all that you do in your local churches, that all you do Uh, in the communities that you're in, and especially those uh, that are listening to us from abroad. We are praying with you. Uh, We do love you and continue to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie, for Jesus' sake. God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with Apologist and Minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org listen again next week at this same time and remember Titus 1 9 says hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it sound reasoning ministries srministries.org
1: and as always we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast if you go to lifeaudio.com you'll find dozens of other faith center podcasts in their network they've got shows